Revelation 17 is where we will be tonight. Revelation chapter 17. Okay, so we are getting close to the end. Um, last time we talked through two chapters of Revelation. I'm probably not going to be able to get through two chapters in the rest of the book in a single sermon, so I don't think we're going to move that quickly. But um, we talked about the seven bowls of wrath that uh, were poured out in Revelation 16. And the last bowl of wrath reminded us uh, of a specific character that has already been mentioned. Back in chapter 14, John talks about the fact that Babylon is fallen. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. One of the angels that is overhead declares this uh, to be the case. And it's interesting because Babylon hasn't fallen yet, but he speaks in the perfect tense as though it's already happened. And, and, And its effect will be ongoing, but yet it hasn't happened yet. See, from God's perspective, it already has happened. Babylon has already fallen. It's kind of like um, it's kind of like playing chess against an expert. You don't realize you're beaten until many moves after you've already been beaten. You've already made a critical mistake. They've capitalized on it, and you've got no clue until eventually you look up and you see, oh wait, he's about to put me in checkmate. <laughs> and it and it may have been twenty moves ago that you were beaten but you don't see it happening yet. That's kind of the way that this is. Babylon has already been defeated. God has already made it happen. It's just a matter of making it happen. It's just a matter of bringing it out. Revelation 17, we begin to see that fall happen more clearly. Up until this point, it's been spoken of in the general terms. It's been prophesied. It's been generally mentioned, but it hasn't been specifically detailed. And now in chapters 17 and 18 and the beginning of 19, we'll see Babylon fall. So join me in Revelation chapter 17. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come and I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. And it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and was not and is not, excuse me, and it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. 
And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beasts. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is the Lord of lords and king of kings, and those with him are called chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw, where the prostitute is seated, are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, and the beast, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. Pray with me. Father, as we see this vision in Revelation 17 of this woman and beast, as we consider the ferocity of the creature and the bloodthirst of the woman, we may be tempted, like John, to marvel. We may be tempted to gaze long, to look for just what the image is and, and, and how to recognize it in our world. But Father, these two are not the point of this passage. They may take up the most space. They may be described in the most detail. But the point isn't these two. The point is the lamb that they cannot conquer. So Father, even in the midst staring evil in the face, considering its grotesqueness, considering the wretchedness which it spreads like venom, may we not be caught up in the sight of the evil. May we focus on the one that that evil cannot defeat. May our eyes be ever drawn more closely to you, to your spotless lamb, who is worthy, who is willing, and who is victorious. Father, may he capture our attention and our wonder. Help us understand your word and know how to apply it. In Christ's name, amen. It's, it's so easy to get caught up in the images and what they mean that you miss the main point. And I want you to get the main point so much that I'm going to go ahead and skip to it. Look in verse 12, or verse 13, excuse me. Talking about these 10 kings, it says, these are of one mind and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. Verse 14, they will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them. I want you to see that first because the images that we're going to look at, the, the, the pictures that they're going to bring to mind, do not need to assume the most important revelation of this book. This is not a revelation of the things that are to come. This is not a revelation of the evil that will approach our society. This is not a revelation of how the things that are happening in the world today will end up fulfilling Scripture. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ. You go back to chapter 1, verse 1. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. He is the one being revealed. And yes, there's a whole bunch of other things that are being revealed. Yes, there are a whole bunch of creatures and animals and, and angelic beings and different sins of, of humanity and the wrath and judgments that are, that are poured out on the earth. All those things are being shown to us not for the purpose of us discerning the times and saying, oh, well, this coronavirus vaccine, that must be the mark of the beast. That's not the point. The point is Christ. And if we miss Christ, we missed it all. We may as well just go home, shut the doors, turn over the keys, sell the building to someone else. It's pointless. It's pointless being here. If we miss Christ, we missed everything. 
You may as well put your Bible in the trash heap. If we miss Christ, we miss it all. You see, these kings are not able to conquer the Lamb. Why? Keep reading in verse 14. For He is Lord of lords and King of kings. We miss this because we don't talk like this. This is, in a sense, it's kind of 1600s King James English kind of talk. Okay? And that's not our fault. That just... Things change over time. It just happens that way. So let me try to put this in a vernacular that we can understand. He's all that in a bag of chips. He's the one ruling over all of the rulers. You think of the best of the best. The one that they look up to is Jesus. The, the, the one that kings serve. The one that at his will brings people to power and takes power away from others. At his will, creates new countries and combines countries together and and allows civil war to break countries apart. At his will, these things happen. He is king of all the kings. Like you get all the kings together and you say, who is the one that has the ultimate authority over these? It's Jesus Christ. He is Lord of Lords. A Lord is someone who would own land, own property, who is the master of his house. Who is the master of all the masters? Who is the boss of all the bosses? Who is the ruler of all the rulers? That's Jesus Christ. And because he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he is the one who is victorious against 10 kings or against 10,000 kings. It doesn't matter. Array your army, your vast host against him. You cannot defeat him because he is king of kings and he is Lord of lords. Don't miss Jesus. Now this chapter focuses on two specific characters, but I want us to make sure we see Jesus. And in fact, the two are playing off of, they're kind of, they're kind of contrasting other characters. This beast is in a way a contrast to Jesus. This, this woman is a contrast of his bride. Here, let me show you what I mean. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls, so the seven bowls have just happened, and one of the angels comes to him. I like to think it's the seventh, because the seventh one is the one that mentions Babylon. The seventh bowl is where we see Babylon the great mention. So I like to think it's the last one. The last one pours out the bowl, and then probably bowl still in hand, comes to John and says... I'm going to show you how Babylon's going to fall. He, he, he comes to him and says, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. Interestingly, she's mentioned as seated on many waters. And then to see her, he goes to the desert. Now, I, I don't know how many of you know anything about geography. Anybody ever seen many waters in a desert? I mean, that's kind of kind of goes against the definition of a desert, right? A desert is a dry place, isn't it? What's going on here is he's taking both images to show us a contrast. You see, this woman is going to rule, but the earth she's going to rule over is like a desert. It's a wilderness. It's like chaotic waters. It's, it's something that isn't really worth ruling over, really. She struts her stuff on top of this beast as though she is the one that everyone should adore. And yet it turns out <laughs> that doesn't even last for long because the beast that she's riding on and the people that she's subjecting end up turning against her. She thinks that she is in charge. She exerts great influence and power. 
And in the end, she ends up being destroyed. Not so with the bride. You see, the bride of Christ, well, let's say, what does he tell Peter? What does Jesus tell Peter? On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There's two things about it. Number one, um, um, the church is the one prevailing. And number two, gates are defensive. The church is on the attack. I find that interesting. Most churches are on the defensive. Most churches are reacting to what happens. Oh no, there's all these government things. What should we do? The government is calling for shutdowns. The government is calling for this. Our, our, the people are calling for that. People aren't showing up. So, so we should just change our message. We should just jump through all of these junk hoops that don't really matter in order to show ourselves faithful. And they'll quote things like Romans 13 and oh, we're going to follow Romans 13. And they forget the fact that it's not a Romans 13 issue. It's a sovereignty of God issue. You see, the church cannot run scared. The church is to be on the offensive, on the attack. And being on offense means that you will offend. Right? Right? I mean, what what offensive line comes up before the defense and says, do you, do you mind if we gain a few yards here? That, you might play football. Did that happen in football? Uh, no. no. Where do you play, offense or defense? Defense. Yeah, so no one ever came up to you and asked, oh, excuse me, can we, can we get this first down here? Can you do me a solid and let me get six yards here? No, doesn't happen. And you didn't go up. Yeah, yeah, just... Just, you just you just come straight at me. You see what happens, right? <laughs> no, they, they don't do that. You see, I, I, I think, church, that it's time for us to act like church and not like the world. Now, am I saying we should throw caution to the wind and do stupid things? No. We're the pride of Christ. We ought to have more smarts than that. But then again, we shouldn't take way too many precautions and do stupid things, too. You see what I'm saying here? I'm saying that we need to honor God with everything that we do. That it's not a question of what does the government say or what does the society say or what does someone else say. It's not about that. It's not what does the, the famous preacher on TV say we should do. What does the latest self-help book say we should do? That's not what it's about. What does God say? What does God say? You see, we have a contrast here because the woman that's on this beast, this woman that is writing, she is a picture. And she is a picture of, in one sense, false religion. I mean, look, look at, look at the way she looks. She's the, the, uh, verse four, the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls. Does that description sound familiar to anybody? There is close. It's not perfect, but there is close. A very similar description. It comes from the high priestly garments. Except for blue. Blue is blue is one thing I noticed that's not there in, in this passage that is in the high priest garments. But he's wearing he's wearing different garments of all these colors and fine twine linen and and he's got he's got all kinds of little bells and he's got all kinds of of stones on his breastplate and there's a plate of gold across his head that says Kadosh Lavanai, holy to the Lord. There's this is this is the high priest and it's almost like he's imitating the high priest. And then again, well, there's the other description of her. The description that quite frankly I don't like to read in church. That word prostitute. 
Where do you think prostitutes were most common in ancient days? Temples. Temples. That's where you went. Throughout Scripture, Hosea is a great example of this. Amos is a great example of this. Throughout Scripture, Jeremiah. Oh, Jeremiah talks about this numerous times. They refer to idolatry as adultery. The picture is God has chosen his people, Israel, as a bride, and they are unfaithful to him. They cheat on him by worshiping other gods. And so, so there is a religious component to this woman. Not only that, but these, these robes and, and, and these colors and these medals and these precious things that, that she has on her are also the adornments of ample supply. They're adornments of, of economic prosperity. You know, these two often go hand in hand. Because economics often becomes the thing that drives people. Maybe they don't say, I love money, but they act like it. Maybe they're not trying to be filthy rich. They just want to be cleanly rich. Right? As long as you can get that rich part. I don't, I, I, don't, I don't need the filthy part. Just give me the rich part. Right? And what often happens is that money becomes the God. That's why when Jesus says you cannot serve two masters, he points out money. He doesn't point out anything else. He doesn't point out Baal. Because who's worshiping Baal in Jesus' day? No one. Baal's long gone. See, the God ends up being money. The one thing that we, we wrestle with the most is, is to allow the things that we have, the resources that are at our disposal, that, that aren't really ours, that are God's, but we forget that and think they're ours, those things can become our God. And it becomes about getting more and more and more. And money becomes the way that we get more and more and more. And so we begin to thirst after money. And money becomes the idol. Instead of God being the God that we worship, we worship money. Or we worship prosperity. Or we worship having. We worship affluence. I mean, the Pharisees in Jesus' day, you know why they wanted to be in the in crowd? They could get rich. You know the biggest appeal of being a Pharisee? It paid, it paid a whole lot better than working in the fields all day. And it was a whole lot cushier job too, wasn't it? A show of hands, how many of you, how many of you would rather get paid more and work less hard? Yeah, it's okay to admit that. It's okay. I understand that, yeah. But when money becomes the God, so this combination, this, this somewhat religious, this somewhat economic, it, it's... Both of them are being represented in this woman. Some people say, well, this is the Roman Catholic Church. I think the Reformers may have missed this one. <laughs> I think they were a little biased. I don't think it's the Roman Catholic Church, but I do think it's false religion, especially when false religion is tied to economic affluence. We, we have a movement today that will try to tell you that if you name it, you can claim it. If you, it it's there. It's yours. All you have to do is say the word with faith and it will be yours. That's dangerous, y'all. This woman represents for us these two things that often go hand in hand, the economic affluence and the religious impurity, pursuing false idols. Both of them often go hand in hand. In fact, the trade guilds, guilds of John's day often required sacrifice to pagan gods, to Roman gods sometimes to Caesar, sometimes to a patron god of whatever craft or art or whatever you were involved in. Economic and religious going hand in hand. 
This woman is trying to assert influence over people by any means she can. And she uses this powerful figure of a beast. We've already seen this beast before. He's got the blasphemous names. He's the one in chapter 13 that rose up out of the sea. He's the one that has the seven heads and the ten horns and, and looks it just if you picture that in your mind's eye, you don't really want to picture it, do you? Because it just it just looks terrible. It's the stuff you have nightmares about when you're eight and you watch a movie you shouldn't watch before bedtime. It's that kind of scary stuff, right? I think of the Hydra. We'll go to Greek gods here. Hydra. Hydra, you, uh, it has heads, and every time you cut off a head, two more heads come in its place, right? Okay? It's, it's that kind of scary sort of thing. And she is riding this thing not only to assert her influence, but to assert her dominance. What she doesn't realize is that there's trouble brewing right under her. She's, uh, John says, when I saw her, I marveled greatly. He didn't know what to think of this. There's an idea of wonder, of amazement, of not understanding, perhaps even of enthrallment. But the angel quickly interrupts and says, Hey, John, why are you marveling? Let me tell you about this woman. The beast, she starts with the beast. He starts with the beast, the angel does. The beast that you saw, verse 8, was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. Let's, let's break that phrase down. Does that sound familiar? Was, is not, and is about to come? Does that kind of sound familiar to anybody? Okay, this is, let's, let's do this as active participation. So you guys participate. Where, where have we seen that kind of a phrase before? Something similar to that. Talking about Jesus, the one who was and is and is to come, right? Do you notice the difference? This beast was and is not and is about to come. But even when he's about to come, he's not coming for very long because he's going to destruction. Did you see that? Verse 8, he makes that clear. Uh, the beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit, from the abyss, and go to destruction. Now look down in verse 11. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. He says that twice. As if he's driving home the point. Now how is this beast going to destruction from the lamb who he cannot conquer. You see, the, the, no matter how scary, no matter how bad this beast is, no matter what kind of influence and what kind of power it, ass, it assails over the world, no matter how tight its iron grip is upon the earth, it cannot defeat the lamb because the lamb is the king of kings and the lamb is the lord of lords and he will not be conquered. Now, the beast, he was... He is not. It's the opposite of I am. It, it, it's trying to be I am, but not. And he wants to be I am, and he tries to come to be I am. He tries to, to take God's place, and God puts him in his place. But before he goes, he still has impact. Go back to verse 8. About to go to destruction. And the dwellers on the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. People who are sitting there that haven't been sealed, that haven't had their names written in the book of life from before the foundation of the world, those people, they look and they're amazed. And instead of just beginning to be enthralled, 
They are completely intoxicated. They cannot disbelieve anymore. They cannot look at the beast and change their minds. Now he goes to destruction. But what about this woman? Oh, there's another part about this beast that he points out. The, the seven heads, the ten horns, what, what are those? Well, the angel says, um, the seven heads, verse 9, this, this calls for a mind with wisdom. Anytime you see that in scripture, it's a, it's a note that if you think you know what you're talking about, you're probably wrong. So just be real careful about what you assert. Be very careful going from what the scripture says to what you think it means, okay? This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. That could be indicative of Rome. Rome was built on seven hills. It could also be indicative of just the earth in general. Seven being a completion. It could just be she's sitting on seven mountains that are representative of all the mountains. She's sitting on these hills that demonstrate her authority, not just over those hills, but over the entire world. There are seven mountains. Verse 10, there are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, and the other has not yet come. Most likely talking about five kingdoms through the course of history. Uh, You think Egypt, Babylon, uh, Persia, Greece, Rome, one more, Assyria. I left out Assyria. The sixth would be Rome because the sixth one is, right? But the seventh one has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. He's, his reign is going to be brief. Number seven ain't going to be on the scene for too long. And that ten horns. Oh, by the way, that beast goes to destruction. Did I mention that? Okay, just want to make sure we have that clear. The beast is on his way to being destroyed, okay? Verse verse 12, And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. They're not lasting very long because what are they going to do? They're all, they're all going to get of the same mind and they're going to say, Here, have our power, beast. They're deluded just like everyone else. They get authority and they give it to the beast. They make war on the lamb, but they're losers. Can I put it that way? Is that, you think that pretty much sums it up? Yeah, I think so. They're losers. They can't conquer the land. Verse 15, even the water has meaning here. The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago when, when the angels are flying overhead and, and the first one is declaring the gospel to every, to every, uh, uh, nation and language and tribe and people. And I talked about the fact that the gospel overcomes all of the barriers. This is his attempt to replicate. This is the world's attempt to replicate the kind of unity that only comes in Christ. Peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate, naked, and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. See, this this one, she, she has her due coming. Um, for God has put it into their hearts. Did you catch that? For God has put it into their hearts. We often think that only the pious, only the holy, only the ones who are dedicated to knowing the will of God can do what God wants them to do. But no, God can use even the most faithless to do his will. The ones that are actively trying to make war with his son, God is using them to do his will by putting it into their minds that they need to destroy this woman. 
It's almost as if he's in control. Oh wait, he is. That's why he can't be conquered. It's one thing to fight against someone who's stronger than you. It's another thing to fight against someone who is not only stronger than you, but controls you. <laughs> that's, that's a battle you can't win, right? He put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast. That was God's plan. Oh, it doesn't look like God's plan. You see this happen. You, you get, uh, let's just... Let's just say the United Nations were to meet today and everybody were to say, we've decided that all the countries of the world that we will all subject ourselves to this one person. You're going to look at that on the news and you're going to say, oh no, (laughs) this is not good. But it is good because it's God's plan. Sometimes, sometimes it doesn't look like God's plan. Sometimes it looks bad. And in the end, he's in control. The woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. It's hard to put a specific name on this woman. I don't think we should. But I can tell you this. She's going to try to have influence and power, and she will for a while, but she's going to be destroyed. Just like the beast is going to be destroyed. Just like the enemies of God are going to be destroyed. They will not last. But the lamb, the lamb will conquer them. He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And I left something out. And those who are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Father, may that be true of us. May we be called by your name, chosen before the foundation of the world and faithful to you. Father, help us bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us where we fail you. Help us forgive others who fail us. Keep us from temptation. Deliver us from evil. It's your kingdom. It's your power. It's your glory. Lord, take it forever and ever. Amen.